Welcome to Sexy Boss Interviews with Heather Havenwood, www.sexybossinc.com. Welcome to the Sexy Boss Radio Interview Series. Today we have me, Heather Havenwood, and Dr. Eleanor Womack. I am very excited to have her here today. Dr. Eleanor Womack is not only my physician, but a physician to many women and men across the state of Texas. Here she's Texas licensed. She's got a whole resume of amazing things, but I just want to say I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you've taken the time out of your very busy schedule to do this. Thank you. It's my absolute pleasure. And now you are a fellow of the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. Yes, I am. Great. And I want to share people with people why I'm interviewing a doctor today. That might sound odd. Um, here, me as a woman, I have been uh, obviously been to lots of doctors over a period of time and, and done my well woman annually. And then as I've gotten older, as I've gotten to my 30s, I've started to notice things where I'm gaining weight when I'm doing the same things and exercising the same. I'm having issues where I'm feeling weird. I'm not sure why. And I'm in my 30s. And a few years ago, I got a chance to work for a company that was really into a lot of different what I call forward thinking and the anti-aging. They were doing things with hormone, hormone therapy. And so because of that, I got to have a chance to meet Dr. Eleanor Womack. And through that, I've now myself, I'm I'm now a patient of yours and I'm on specifically, I'm on uh, testosterone um, and different things, progesterone, I'll say that wrong. And so the reason I wanted to have this conversation today is to share with women that Maybe that your doctor, maybe your gynecologist is not sharing with you what are things that are possible with um, the future of, of hormone therapy and, and, and weight gain and things like that. So this is something that I want you to, we're going to dive into what's happening with today's society, what you're seeing today, and then we're going to dive into some, some challenges. Before we get into that, I definitely want to go ahead and, and let people know a little bit about your background, and that is you are Harvard Medical School MD. Yes, I am. Wow. And um, you're a cum laude of Harvard Medical School. Of correct? Harvard College. Of Harvard College. You have eight years of preparation H. So eight years. Wow. Okay, so eight years at Harvard and got your Bachelor's of Science. There. Yes. And then you had another how many years as an MD? Well, I had four years of, in college and four years in medical school. Okay, wow. So eight years in, in at Harvard. That's very impressive. And then you went to California. Yes. Correct? And you went to California, and you did your medical license there. Um, and you said you worked for some different people. You interned. Well, people. I I trained. I got my internal medicine. I was, I'm board certified in internal medicine, and then I trained as an oncologist. Okay. So I worked for City of Hope. For four years, I did my fellowship, and then I did a year as an attending physician at the City of Hope in oncology. Now, why did then from oncology? How did you move into what you're doing now? What would you call you're doing now? I mean, you are obviously a doctor. I'm doing real wellness care. I'm real. actually practicing medicine um, in a way that addresses the whole patient at the same time, okay. using rational, logical thinking, mm-hmm. and science and genetics to help people stay healthy, regain health if they've lost it, and then stay healthy for as long as they possibly can. And instead of having the decline that all of us associate with aging, have people be vital in their 60s, in their 70s, and even in their 80s, 
Which um, is possible. Which is absolutely possible if we address the entire person at the same time and put things in perspective and treat illnesses and our weaknesses um, with nutrition, with vitamins, with things that the body actually knows how to use. That's really key. And I know that when I came to you, I wasn't sick. You know, that's something that I didn't come to you saying I'm sick. Something, you know, I didn't say something was wrong. I just knew that I could be at a better level. I right. knew I could enhance my body better. I knew that I wasn't 21 anymore. I knew I had to change things. I wasn't sure what to do. But when I went to a doctor, they said, well, what's wrong? And I would say, well, nothing wrong. But I know that there's some things I can do to, to be better. And so now I have more alertness. Um, I don't have any a lot of moods. I was moody. I didn't know why. Um, I'm able to lose weight faster just because of the different things that you were working with me on over a period of a year. And I would call that real wellness. Okay. So so you went from ontolo- no, oncology. Now tell me what's oncology. Oncology is cancer medicine. So, cancer. so I poisoned people for a living. And I was okay. trained in that, and I, I would, we would put an IV in somebody's body and make them sicker than they were when they came in, and they walked away sicker plus cancer. So I, wow. by about the second year of my fellowship, I was mistrusting my own judgment in choosing this field. <laughs> um, I, I really, truly enjoyed hmm. the other end of it. So when someone was actually dying... Um, and we weren't poisoning them anymore. Um, the process of death was really, I think, what was fascinating to me, was being with the families and um, seeing mm-hmm. a soul go on to yeah. the next place was pretty spectacular, no matter how we did it. Yeah. Um, and I, I realized that that had been what had drawn me to cancer medicine. It was the people who had cancer who were facing these questions and these issues. And when I realized that I was taking these beautiful people and poisoning them, I was... Wasn't as happy with my career choice. Interesting. Um, I also developed my own health problems. I um, became pregnant with triplets uh, at the very end of my fellowship, right when I was studying for my boards, and uh, wound up in the hospital for sixty days on all kinds of medications and steroids wow. to keep the babies in me, and wound up sick. And when I went back to work, I um, actually told them that I wasn't willing to give chemotherapy anymore, and so they put me in charge of um, the No Hope portion of the City of Hope. And so I did the palliative care and took care of people who were dying, which was a wonderful, wonderful place to be. Um, and it was at the very beginning of the whole idea of hospice. And then my family responsibilities and my own health took over and I retired after about a year and a half of doing that. So um, then facing my own health struggles was pretty I mean I was a medically I was a very medically trained scientifically trained physician um, who was sick and I went to all my friends who were doctors at City of Hope and no one could help me including the infectious disease specialists and the endocrinologists wow I went to my own doctor who helped me deliver the triplets and mm-hmm. um, he gave me some suggestions that were all alternative medicine I thought he was crazy and I walked out of his door in a huff I went to the Mayo Clinic. I went to Massachusetts General Hospital. Um, I was suffering from chronic fatigue Mm. and from what was probably chronic candidiasis. Um, And I was outrageously, I mean, I was really in bed. If I took a walk around the block, I was in bed for a week. I couldn't exert any uh, effort. Um, So in my own journey, I finally came back to my gynecologist who was an alternative medicine practitioner and let him treat me. But it was a 
seven to eight year journey before I let him try to help me. Wow, really? I mean, I went to, well, the doctors took all the medications. I was on very, very, very high dose anti-yeast medications that were used for cancer patients. Um, And nothing was working because my system itself wasn't balanced. We weren't, we were treating disease. We weren't helping to strengthen my body to fight disease. Well, interesting you talk about, you had triplets. Now, just for the listeners to understand, currently, as of today, you have how many children? I have nine children. Nine children. Okay. And who I'm speaking to right now is a very vibrant, thin, beautiful, lean, toned woman who could run a marathon right now. I mean, well, no. <laughs> you, I mean you, you're... Extreme, I could run a couple miles. You could run a couple miles, yes. Well, I know you're extremely trained. I know your trainer. He's he's, he's a very hard trainer. So you understand the, the difference of a vast... Yeah. From where you come oh, from, yeah, where yeah. you are now. And so when the triplets are born, how are they? How old are they now? They're 21. They're 21. Okay, so this has been a long journey. journey. Right. Okay, so and I'm sure there's other women that are going to be listening to, maybe that's me. You know, maybe they're raising their hand. Well, I've, I've felt that. But I, and I've been to all the other doctors. Well, I act, but the funny thing was that I self-medicated with pregnancy. So the only time that I felt healthy was when I was pregnant. It was the only time that I had energy to focus and and function. And I really had a progesterone deficiency and I was self-medicating by staying pregnant, which kept my progesterone levels high. And, and my, my gynecologist kept saying, I can just give you progesterone. You don't have to get pregnant again. And I thought that he was talking about synthetic progesterone. And I was so frightened of what I had seen synthetic progesterone do in the clinics. Mm -hmm. As a resident, I'd actually seen someone die from synthetic progesterone. And so I was terrified of it. And so I didn't understand what he was talking about. And 10 years into his argument with me, um, he finally presented me with a picture of the two molecules. He showed me a, a picture of synthetic progesterone sitting next to a picture of bioidentical progesterone. And that, that was the beginning. That was when the light bulb went off. What and was I the changed. light bulb there? Like you saw, I'm here, you are at Harvard MD and you, you didn't make it, it doesn't, you didn't make the connection. What was it? Was it just because you thought you were going, I mean, what, what? I had not, I really had compartmentalized the science that I knew. This sounds insane, but I know that it's a problem that many physicians have. I had compartmentalized my science so that I had put it away in a box and I wasn't applying it to what I was doing every single day. Mm -hmm. I applied it when I was thinking about cancer therapy Mm -hmm. and about how to kill cells. But when it came to making people healthy, I wasn't thinking about science. I was thinking about what was the, what was the standard thing that the pharmaceutical rep, rep told me. So my science wow. education had really been abdicated, and I had turned it over to pharmaceutical conceptualizations of things. So yeah. I wasn't thinking about diet. Um, I mean, that same gynecologist that wanted me to take progesterone wanted me to stop eating carbohydrates, and I thought he was out of his mind. Um, I couldn't believe that he would ask. And he told me, while you're pregnant in particular, you shouldn't eat a lot of of concentrated carbohydrates. He said it's going to increase your premature labor. It's going to make your, um, it's going to make the symptoms of pregnancy worse. And it wasn't until my fifth and sixth pregnancy that I stopped eating carbs and didn't have the weight gain and didn't have the preterm labor and had more comfortable pregnancies. Really? And that's not, I've never even heard of that, not having, doing carbohydrates during pregnancy. Is that a common? It's not, it's, it's, 
so he wasn't asking me to give them up altogether. Right. So he would approve of rice and quinoa and sweet potatoes, but he didn't want me eating. I was eating my first few pregnancies. I ate macaroni and cheese and I ate lots of bread and I ate lots of chocolate pudding and I, (laughs) and I ate a lot of candy. Interesting. Wow. Foolishness. Well, yeah, we all do. And that's interesting. I mean, I can't even imagine that now. But you, have, you went through it yourself. That's why I find it so fascinating with you. And so let's talk about for something that is a big thing right now with women. doesn't matter what age, from 30 to 50 and beyond, especially, I would say, after 40. Uh, I saw this a lot when I was working for that company where I would see women come in and they would say the same thing over and over again. They would say, I'm around 40. You know, for the last five or seven years, I've worked out, I've run marathons, I've done all these things. All of a sudden, I've gained 20 pounds. I can't understand why nothing's really changed. So, you know, I used to be thin, but now I'm not type of scenario. What is that? I'm sure you see well, that every we day. Each, we all of us have an equation, particularly if we've been fitness oriented. We have an equation that calories in plus energy out equals what I'm going to weigh. And that works perfectly from our teenage years through... 25, 30, and then it begins to fall apart because that equation is influenced by a very complex web of hormones that sit underneath our energy expenditure. Okay. All right? So um, energy expenditure is supported in a hammock. So if everybody could kind of imagine in their minds a three-cornered triangle, and Mm -hmm. on one side of the triangle is thyroid on another side of the triangle is adrenal hormones and on the third corner of the triangle is the pancreas making insulin and that's what supports our energy expenditure each day so when we're young we can actually push that triangle and it will function well but imagine what that triangle thinks when we are depriving ourselves of calories and we're asking ourselves to exercise more thoroughly so if we go back to our, to our ancestors, when mm-hmm. they experienced that, it was in times of famine. Mm-hmm. Okay? So the body turns on its famine set of hormones. And so what you're seeing in women in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s are women who are experiencing, their bodies think they're in famine because they're exercising hard and they're reducing the number of calories. So they have turned on some of the thyroid hormones that will turn off fat burning. They have become immune to their own fat burning um, hormones. Mm. And they have turned, they may have become insulin resistant as well. Interesting. So there, and then in addition, when we go past 35, mm-hmm. the adrenal part of that triangle mm-hmm. has a underpinning, which is the sex hormones. And as there are perturbations in the sex hormones, mm you're almost guaranteed to have that hammock fall apart by the time you're 40 or 45. As you lose estrogen and progesterone, which are supporting the adrenal corner of the triangle, you're going to have problems with weight gain. So I'll, t- I'll use me as an example. I'll come to you. I'm, I'm, I'm 35. So, um, you know, I came to you and now, right now I'm on testosterone, a very small amount, uh, which I was really... I. It took me a while. I think you prescribed to me. I didn't touch it for like six months. <laughs> it just sat there. <laughs> I mean, you kept asking me, did you try it? No. So um, I was. it concerned me because in my head, testosterone means manly and hairy and 
and you know, and I don't want that as a female. So I was very resistant to that for a while. Uh, now that I've used it going on six or seven months, it's, it's been interesting to see some results. My, I work out obviously you know, five days a week. Um, I now can gain some muscle, but I'm not gaining any hairiness or anything like that. It's been an interesting, um, balance. I'm also on progesterone, which I think every woman should be on. I call it the calming <laughs> drug, you know, um, and because it calms me down no matter what, but someone like myself, again, there's nothing wrong, but I want to make sure I'm staying lean. Well, I want to go back to, um, I want to go back to what you said about everybody should be on progesterone. I think, I oh, think sorry. we need to make, we need to make the caveat that everyone is different. Sure. And one of the reasons why I think I'm successful as a physician is that I really look at every single person, even if two people come in looking identical appearance-wise and telling me the same story, their labs may tell a completely different story. Right. And there, you really need to apply Sherlock Holmes-type dis- detective work to figure out why is this person you know, they, they may be complaining of the same thing, but there may be, it may be thyroid for this person. For someone else, there may be early ovarian symptoms. For someone else, it may have to do with the way that their liver metabolizes hormones. Mm-hmm. So some women don't need testosterone, um, because, but others do. And the reason that we do in our modern world is that our, there are tremendous influences on our lives that have to do with modern exposures. We're exposed mm-hmm to additives in our food. We're exposed to genetically modified foods, which have proteins that the human race has never seen. We have, we're exposed to the byproducts of gasoline when we pump gasoline or when we just breathe the air um, near a gas station. We're exposed to um, chemicals that come from plastics. You know, that for the, the one that people really really resonate with is the idea that the new car smell is actually carcinogenic. The new car smell is byproduct of plastics and those plastics when absorbed even in picogram amounts, I mean amounts that can barely be measured, when those are inhaled, they change the way the liver metabolizes hormones. So much so when women say it doesn't make sense, the equation doesn't add up, they're right. Part of the reason why is that for them, it may very well be that their liver is particularly sensitive to these xenoestrogens or xenohormones that are coming into their body that are molecules that look kind of like the hormones that the body's used to metabolizing. They get into the, the, the gears of metabolism mm-hmm. and they gunk up the gears. So whereas I used to be able to metabolize my estrogen easily and I made it into the right healthy forms of estrogen, now because I've got um, a a hormone in there that I inhaled at the gas station, I'm now slowed down to the point where I can't get through it. And it may take me six months to get rid of that thing that I inhaled. And now that I've inhaled it, I'm going to inhale it again in those next six months. So I'm always constantly clearing it. So it rather than, so, so if someone comes to me and says, I've got these problems, they've kind of got options. They could remove themselves from society. So I always tell people about the bush woman. So the bush woman of Africa or South America who does incredibly well, she does well if she survives childbirth and infections and all the things that we've got in modern life that protect us from those things. If she survives, she has a fantastic trip through old age. Because she's going to bed with the sun, waking up with the sun. She's getting a good eight hours of dark sleep. 
mm. on the cool ground. She's grounded. She's barefoot. She doesn't own a pair of shoes. So she's constantly getting the right electromagnetic resonance from the earth, um, both from sleeping on the earth and from walking on the earth. She's working with her hands and her back and her muscles all day long. And if you look at her, she may not have any estrogen or progesterone anymore. She may not have any ovarian function, but her adrenal glands have hypertrophied in response to the, and she's also getting excellent food because she's eating from the ground. She's eating things the same day that they're picked or caught or mm, killed. Right. Um, so her food source has all the nutrients that she needs. Um, and she does great well. So you have an option when you come to me. I could have told you this. I didn't. I withheld this information from you our first visit. But you could have moved to South America, gotten rid of all of your computers and telephones and cars and shoes, and you could have lived on the ground and you would have gotten better. All of your problems would have gone away in about six to eight months if you had survived the bug bites and the other things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, thanks. No, thanks. Okay. <laughs> so, so, as, so part of my job is to, in a certain extent, created by modern living. Mm. So if we're going to get through modern living, there are ways to look at mm. the way that we're metabolizing things. And for someone who's got a liver issue, help them metabolize those foreign things that they're being exposed to and and maybe perhaps ask them to have someone else pump gas for their car. It's interesting to know. So so really looking at the patient and figuring out, is this someone who's got a liver, lymph, and kidney issue with Uh regard to metabolism of toxins? Is this somebody who's very sensitive to the metabolism of toxins? Mm. Is this somebody who's got a primary problem in adrenal pancreas and thyroid? Is this somebody who's Mm. got a major issue with their gut? Well, we haven't even gotten there yet. We haven't talked about the the toxicities that are in food. But if someone is eating incorrectly, they Mm. can be screwing up their immune system and thus screwing up the way that their brain functions. Well, I mean, I remember when we first started, you didn't, before I even walked in the door, I did my labs first. Right. And you talked to me. I've been accused of being a vampire. (laughs) Actually, I have a side business. I sell blood to vampires. That's good. Well, right now, that's actually a big business. Vampires are a big business. So it was was at least 11 or 12, too. At least, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, you know, but it was interesting because before you, that's not what we're taught in society. You go to the doctor, you tell them what's wrong, and then they talk to you, or maybe they give you the labs, right? Right. But before we even walked in the door, you had already read my lab. So you had already read that piece. And they were very in-depth labs. They were more than I've ever you know, seen before. Well, I, I used to order labs 20 years ago. I ordered labs on patients, and I didn't really know what to do with them. I ordered them because we were supposed to order them. I didn't know what they meant because, remember, I'd forgotten all of my science. Right, right. Yeah. It's like, so this looks good. Look at that piece of paper. No, I would look at the normal ranges on the side, and I would say, oh, the patient's in the normal range, so they must be fine. But what I've discovered is I think the normal ranges have to do with what is seen in the population. And this this is so key. If you guys could learn one thing, understand this. When your doctor says your labs are within normal range, run and hide. Because the normal range includes the 70% of Americans who are dying of metabolic syndrome. Okay. Oh, great. Okay. So metabolic syndrome is not ruled out by the present labs. So because the labs reflect what the population has, it, the labs are not a reflection of what is functionally the norm. So we, we think it would make mm-hmm. sense to all of us that if I go to the laboratory, the lab values are going to come back saying, this is the labs of optimal health and you're outside the normal range. No. The the optimal health range mm-hmm. is within the normal range, but it's, it's for example, with blood glucose. 
the normal range is 65 to 100. Well, we know from multiple population studies of over, of you know, population studies of thousands of individuals that between a blood glucose, a fasting blood glucose of 85 and 100, most of the cancers, the heart disease, the metabolic syndrome, the vascular disease that causes kidney failure, and the diseases that cause dementia occur. So if your blood glucose is running between 85 and 100, you are not normal. You are on a path for the pharmaceutical industry. You are being, you are a biological preparation being prepared to pay out the nose for metformin and for statins and for anti-anxiety medication and for medicine to help you focus and for medicine. And all of those diseases happen in a blood glucose between 85 and 100. So, but that's quote unquote normal. 65 to 100 is normal. Normal. So basically they're saying that's not, but that's not optimal health. That's not optimal health. Right. So you're saying that the optimal health is not anywhere in the normality usually, or is near... It's, it's, in, it's, it's within in the normal it. range, but there's also illness included in what is the considered normal the normal range. range on labs. Wow, that's interesting. So, so I can tell a lot from labs that I used to never be able to tell because I'm looking at that, those functional labs. And all of that information, I'm, so I'm not... On the, on the one hand, there, is, there are things that I do that I do from subjective guess. But then there's a lot of what I do that comes from large population studies that have been done on the health of mm. groups of people, the Framingham study, the um, nurse's health study, the doctor's health study. These were studies done over 15 and 20 years looking at labs and looking at how people did. And a lot of what I'm telling people comes from those population studies. And what we know about disease in the present age mm-hmm. has primarily to do with our food cons- the way that we're eating food and the way that we're eating calories specifically. So you, that goes into what we were talking about before. So going back to, if you can imagine listening to this, we have a, a triangle, right? So one right. triangle, the top of it is a thyroid, and the bottom two says adrenal and pancreas. But let's talk about this other triangle that we have sitting here. You can't see it if you're listening. It's There's another triangle. The top of it says immune, and then the bottom left says gut, and the bottom right says brain. So triangle, again, immune, gut, and brain. You talked a lot about this earlier. Tell, tell me why they're in a triangle. Why is immune connected to gut versus in brain? What, tell them about that. Okay. Um, what do you see? This is really interesting. 75% of your serotonin and other neurotransmitters are made in your gut. Really? So, so many people who say, I have a gut feeling, are speaking the absolute truth. Interesting. And then your immune system, 85% of your immune system is has its home base in your gut. So we have an interaction between the neurological system and the, the neurotransmitters that the brain is going to see, as well as the immune system, which is going to affect the rest of the body, all interacting in the gut. So if you would do another image, mm-hmm. the human being is a donut. Okay. Okay. A donut has a surface, and that surface includes the portion that's inside the donut hole. Correct. Okay. 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 Yeah. So your gut is the donut hole of a cre- of a creation, which is surface. So your surface area mm-hmm. goes over your entire skin, then enclose, then goes through your mouth and goes down your gut, and you are your basically your gut is the donut hole. Okay, mm-hmm. so that whole area is surface that is being affected by what you're eating. 
So if I were to smear something on my skin that gave me an allergic reaction and I got a rash, I might also get some gut disturbance, interesting enough. Well, the same goes the other way around. If I eat something that disturbs my gut, I will get a skin rash because the same immune system that sees it in my gut also applies it to my skin. Well, when that irritation takes place in my gut, I'm also disturbing the, the function and the production of neurotransmitters. Okay, so now let's take another step. And this is where, this is really the root of, I'm, I also belong, I'm a fellow of the Institute for Functional Medicine. And functional medicine mm-hmm. has its basis in this concept I just explained, the donut hole concept. Okay. And functional medicine looks at the gut as the root of all of our issues. So if you take an American diet where we have genetic, and this is not just American, this is, this is the, the first world diet is a diet made from mass-produced food. Mm -hmm. So there is no hunger, but there is nutritional deficiency because we no longer have in the soil the nutrients that the body needs to function. Remember, we went back to that bushwoman who was getting all of her nutrients. She didn't need to take supplements because the nutrients are in the plant leaves and the meat that she's eating and the things. We don't get those things. So in the modern diet, the nutrients have been removed from the food that we're Mm -hmm. eating And then there are things that are added to help the plants to grow. So if I want a large yield from the wheat, and if I want more gluten from the wheat because more gluten makes more, makes a a bread that rises better, I'm actually going to genetically, the the genetically modified wheat to do those things. So Hmm. this is mind blowing, but the wheat, the, the wheat that we eat originally had 14 chromosomes and now has 24 chromosomes. So, and that's been done without any FDA study of the new compounds that are being created by those new genes that are in the wheat. So each one, so the human body has, we have 26 chromosomes and we don't, we don't, um, when we have an extra one, we have illness, we have disease, we have Down syndrome or we have trisomy 13. Oh, right, of course. Okay. So we, we don't go there, but we can take wheat and change the proteins that are in the wheat and make people sick with it. Of course. Okay. Yeah. And those okay. new proteins, those new mm-hmm. proteins increase the mm-hmm. gluten in the wheat. Mm-hmm. And those new proteins also do things like create antibiotics mm-hmm. for the wheat. So things that are antimicrobial that the wheat actually produces mm-hmm. that prevent their attack from their, their natural enemies. Mm-hmm. So the wheat is, grows a larger crop. But then we eat that wheat and the antibiotic is still there, this functional antibiotic. And then that kills off our gastrointestinal flora, changing the balance of our immunity. Because our immunity, there's, a, there's another part of this web. I mean, this is getting awfully complex. But, um, it's okay. In the gut are living probiotic organisms who, who have lived with us for as long as humanity has been around. Um, and one of the things we find in that bushwoman is that she has a very healthy flora inside her gut because she's eating good nutrients and the bugs right, that are living in her are living well and they're producing a lot of her vitamins. So we're killing off our natural flora. So our, we're further in, depleted from nutrients because those flora make a large portion of our vitamins. 
That's why the, you you said the other day, you know, make sure you're on a good probiotic. And this, right. that's been fairly recent in the last few years. I would say five years, six years, all of a sudden we're on, everything to be on probiotic. Is that, is that why? Um, well, we've known about probiotics for more than 35, 40 years. I mean, we've known that there were important organisms that live symbiotically with the human race. Right. Um, but we're now recognizing that there are specific disease conditions, most of them autoimmune illnesses, that can be treated with good probiotic flora. So it's not just putting the probiotic in there. It's keeping the toxins away that would kill the probiotics. So keeping away the foods that the probiotic doesn't want to eat, and then also providing good nutrition for them. So it's kind of like keeping your pet inside of you and feeding it the right food. (laughs) So not only are you feeding you, but you're feeding your probiotics the right food. And then the probiotics are making you well, the right foods are um, natural vegetables, real vegetables, organic vegetables, and mm. good sources of clean meats and fish. But they must not have been eat- eating corn. One of the interesting things is that corn is also yeah. genetically modified, even more so than wheat. Um, it is a modern creation, corn is. And corn products, both the sugar that comes from corn, which is corn syrup, and um, the corn grain that we eat in everything, it's a thickener or a, there's corn byproducts in almost all processed foods. Okay. Um, the, they have natural antibiotics in them that kill off our flora and our gut. And corn also uh, makes people fat. And we don't completely understand why, but we think that it has to do with um, an actual turning on and turning off of genes that um, create adipose tissue. Well, going to one at a level, let's talk about, you talk about corn and gluten. Let's talk about dairy for a second, if you don't mm. mind. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, I, I'm now no longer anti-dairy. It came from a conversation, actually. It was a speaker, actually, mm-hmm. who told me this. And, and I, the, the story always stuck with me. And the speaker said, you know, what do you feed a, a calf, a little baby calf, to have it become 300 pounds as fast as possible? And the answer is milk. Right. So, you know, it always made me go, oh, what do you what do you feed a baby to make it chubby and fat and healthy? Milk, you know. So the concept of that is always resonating in my head. But I know there's a lot more than that. So going back to your gut and dairy, is there a connection at all? Um I would say probably 75% of the American population is resist is, is having trouble digesting dairy. Mm-hmm. They're probably having di- there then there's two components to dairy. There's the casein, which is the protein, and then mm-hmm. there's lactose, which is the sugar. And one of the first things to go when the gut is inflamed is the capacity to reduce lactose. So, if you can't digest lactose, you're going to have all of the, the belching and the gas and the um, the not feeling well that people associate with lactose intolerance. Mm-hmm. And so that's a whole component. On the other hand, the casein, which is the protein that's in milk, there's a, a dicey problem there. It's not a bad protein. And in fact, whey protein, mm-hmm. um, which is also derived from milk and casein, is actually an excellent, excellent protein for the body. But... Um, when it is heated to 1800 degrees, which is what has to happen for pasteurization, it can become a toxic protein. So many people are reacting to two things in milk. They're reacting both to the lactose and to the processed casein. How do you know if something's been... Um, It also has a lot to do with the genetic modification of the animal. 
So when I do, when someone wants to do whey protein, which can be incredibly cardioprotective, it can it can actually heal the gut. Um, I have them do whey protein that comes from cows in New Zealand. And whether or not this is lore or not, I, I tend to believe that it's okay because I can't eat regular casein in regular whey, but I can do whey protein from New Zealand myself. So, of course, since I think it works in me, it must work. Um, from New Zealand cows. From okay. New Zealand cows. Okay. I'm open. Um, and the New Zealand cows have a different genetic, and they're eating um, pure grass. They are not fed corn. And so there's something about the subtle modification that happens to the genetic process in all of us when we eat corn that changes the way that our genetics are produced. And I I think this is a major concept we should cover, which is um, when people, everyone is born with a specific genetic, Mm -hmm. but that genetic has a lot of malleability in it. Mm. And what we're going to express on a daily basis has to do with which genes are turned on Mm. and which genes are turned off. And what you eat has everything to do with what's turned on and what's turned off. And so I was a overweight, pudgy, lack-skinned, fatigued, unhappy, depressed human being when I was eating gluten and corn and getting a large quantity of my of my calories from carbohydrates, probably 70% of my my calories were coming from carbohydrates. When I reduce that to the carbohydrates that come from vegetables Mm -hmm. and I eat lean meats that don't, haven't been eating corn themselves, my body transforms itself. I've turned on another set of genes. It doesn't happen right away. It takes probably a year to two years of really clean eating to do it. And I think a mistake that a lot of people make as they embark on trying to be healthy mm-hmm. is that they don't stay clean, that they have cheat days. I mean, the idea that you could have a cheat day once a week and still be successful is almost impossible. Or that you can, I mean, if, if we look at what happens to the gut when we eat wheat or when we eat corn, if you're cheating once every three months, you're setting yourself back because it takes two to three months to heal from an insult from gluten or from corn. It's really interesting you said that. I just had a conversation yesterday with my trainer, and I said, uh, cheat days? Can I have cheat days? And he goes, no, you can't have cheat days. And I said, why? I thought that was really good. And he said, the cheat days were for are for people that aren't as disciplined or the mindset. It's more for my, he said, mindset. It's not, does not do well. It's not right. going to get you where you want to go. And I've never heard that. And so... <clears throat> Right. Until you, until today. <laughs> well, I, I mean, we're focusing oh on diet here for a second, and so yeah. I know a lot of people's ears are fine-tuned. So let me just tell you what my approach to diet recommendations yeah, are. I, um, I start with everybody by recommending the paleo diet. Well, there is a loaded thing, because the paleo diet means different things to different people, and there are... Um, whole cadres. I mean, it's like a religion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. within a religion, there's all these different doctrinal yeah. viewpoints within each of the sects. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. I will confess to you right away <laughs> in paleo, there are at least five different sects. Okay? Okay. okay. Um, and so, and, and I'm very comfortable with that as well. So, um, for patients, I will say to them initially for the first three months, you really need to be strict original Cordain paleo. And so the Cordain paleo philosophy says nothing processed 
that nothing processed is going to be the major theme of all paleo diets, but nothing processed, nothing with dairy, nothing with wheat or any kinds of grains. So they would exclude quinoa. They would exclude brown rice. They would exclude, exclude um, like oatmeal. Oatmeal is excluded. So all, everything that's cultivated is excluded. The philosophy being that if it's cultivated, it's something that your paleo ancestors wouldn't have seen because while they were running away from a mastodon, they were not going to be lining up rows of corn or lining up rows of cauliflower, et cetera. Okay. So, so you're eating vegetables and you're eating meat that could be, that could be shot. Okay. So, so it's not meat that's been eating corn because the moment that you, the, the animal begins to eat corn, it develops hypertriglyceridemia and early diabetes. And so the foods that we eat and the fats that we eat from the meat that's eating corn are actually just as toxic as eating corn ourselves. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. So nothing. So, so meat that's not processed right. are eating dairy. Okay. Right. So there, there is, and, and then nuts and berries are the, the source of some carbohydrate, another source of carbohydrate within it, but mm-hmm. you don't go as far as any tropical fruits. You don't eat mangoes. Don't eat a lot. Of, you don't eat any bananas. You don't eat um, apples. Mm-hmm. So that's the strict paleo that would be the first three months. After that, I let people add things in. And the first thing I let them add in is goat dairy. So I'll have them experiment with goat dairy. And if they tolerate goat dairy and they absolutely positively have to have cream in their coffee every morning, I'll let them expand. If they're successful and they're doing well, I'll let them expand. If they have a problem, Mm -hmm. at that point I may do allergy testing. And I may do food allergy testing at the very beginning if they want to do that. Um, And then we'll really see if there's a dairy allergy that's at the root of of their gut issues. Mm. <clears throat> but coconut dairy, I love coconut dairy. Coconut dairy is fine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I love coconut dairy. Okay. Okay, but you got to watch what the additives are. Mm. Okay, because it's a processed food, and so it may have sugar in it, and you have to look at the sugar content. Yeah. Okay. I'm not supposed to have it. So, so looking at um, sugar, mm-hmm. and then looking at sugar in the paleo diet, you're doing. If you're looking at grams of sugar, you're mm-hmm. only going to have 10 grams of sugar per six-hour block. So you'd have maybe a total of 30 grams of sugar in a day, which would actually be a lot. That's pure sugar, independent of carbs. Okay. Okay. Um, and then at the most, you're when you're doing when you're initially starting the paleo diet, mm-hmm. you're looking for 40 to 50 grams of carbs per day. And as we expand, you can go to 70 to 100 grams of carbs a day. So someone who's listening, they can say, okay, maybe they don't have a doctor like you available. So they could start with a paleo diet. They could start with paleo. And they could look at different people out there. So they could read Cordain's book, which is fantastic. My, my actually, my favorite book, because it's so, it scares people healthy, is a book called Norigad Gaudis. And it's Primal Body, Primal Mind. Primal Body, Body, Primal primal Mind. mind. Okay. Nora Ged Gaudis. Um, and she, she very, in a very detailed way goes into why carbohydrates are so dangerous, um, why fats, how to use fats and how fats are healthy and how it's not really an issue of, um, when we look at heart disease, it's the root of it is actually sugar and not fat. Hmm. Okay. So the kinds of fats that we eat are very, very, very important to understand. But if you're eating good fat, good fat is actually a better calorie source for the human body than are 
the concentrated carbohydrates. Like a macadamia nut fat. A macadamia nut fat, a walnut fat, a pecan fat, a um, olive oil, which is omega-9s. You you need absolutely essentially need a small amount of that every day. Um, And then fish oils. Fish oils. So let me... So we're talking about immune gut and brain, you know, okay. about paleo diet. Okay. So, so someone's listening to this going, you know, okay, here, here's my symptoms. I'm fatigued or I'm thinking foggy. Why am I thinking foggy? I mean, I'm 40 years old or I'm just making this up 40, um, and I'm 41 and I have you know kids and I'm, I'm working and I've always been on it. And all of a sudden I'm thinking foggy and I don't understand why, or I'm forgetting things. I don't understand why. And I'm, I'm in my forties. I'm, I'm. Well, here, here in, this is why I order labs before you come to see me, Um, because there's a big branch point right there, Um, both when I'm addressing fatigue Mm -hmm. and when I'm addressing foggy thinking. And I need to address those separately. Separately. So fatigue, one, and foggy, the other. So if I'm addressing fatigue, Mm -hmm. fatigue can be, we go back to that original hammock, the first triangle, which was adrenal, thyroid, pancreas. Right. So, Mm -hmm. So because those are how I get energy every single day. So I'm going to look at that person's labs and see if they are insulin resistant. So see if they're actually not using carbohydrates correctly. They may be fatigued because they're living from one high sugary snack to the next high sugary snack. And the, this story I've heard over and over and over again from women who they look at me when I tell them about the, the primal mind, primal body diet, their eyes get as big as saucers and they say, I'll never be able to do this. And they come back three months later and they say, I can't believe it. It was sugar. That was what it was. I was fatigued all day long because I was late for my next fix. Okay, I'm a, I was a sugar addict and it, mm. two hours away from sugar and I was sick longing for it. And mm-hmm. as soon as I stopped eating sugar, the, all of that fatigue went away. So that's that would be an easy fix. So looking to see that someone has an issue with sugar and insulin is a big one for me. And I'm I'm jump on that with both feet because it really is the root of so much of the disease that we see oh, yeah. constantly. Um, then, then I look at thyroid. And um, thyroid can be a reason for foggy thinking and a reason for fatigue. But thyroid may not be healthy. So I look at thyroid and I look to see if there's an immunological reason for the thyroid. If there's an immunological reason for the thyroid, I will treat it. If there's not an immunological reason for thyroid and thyroid's just a little bit off, Mm-hmm. Then I will address well the things that would strengthen the adrenal gland in order to help the thyroid's not working as well because the mm-hmm. adrenal gland's not working and the thyroid's trying to carry it. So supporting the person from a stress standpoint, looking at them. Mm-hmm. Here's another visual picture. Imagine the yin yang circle that is in so much jewelry, mm-hmm. um, which has a fifty fifty s. It's it's. 50-50 volume divided by an S-curve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, and if I were to take that S and move it almost off to the margin, I would be. I would give you a representation of the average woman's settings. Her, mm. her, her idol is set too high. So she has very little parasympathetic or yang and way too much sympathetic or ying going mm-hmm. on. Okay. okay, yeah, so like a and balance so, of a... So she thing. is exhausting herself with... Very much. So even on days that aren't stressful, 
she's stressing herself out because her, she's, her settings are set too high. So it, and, and it is an insult, of course, to people that with post-traumatic stress syndrome to say that she has an element of it, but she does. She's on the spectrum of post-traumatic stress syndrome. She's got too much excitatory neurotransmitter going on all the time, and her brain has lost its set point. Her brain has lost its capacity to say, it's time to calm down now. How do you, can you, well, first of all, can you reset that? You can reset it, but it is not, you know, again, what does she want? She wants an instant answer because where is she set? She's set in instantaneous. Okay. So she comes in. She, so first we have to have a conversation where she realizes that I do understand her and I do love her and I do care about her future. It's just, it's not going to be right away. Right. Right. So yes, yes, you're spending all this money to see me, but we're going to have to do this slowly, but you will get there. And so at that point I have a red turtle on my desk and I pick up the red turtle and I, and I walk it across the room and I say, we're going to move slowly. We're going to do things one step at a time and you will get there. But the only way to get there is with each each foot firmly planted and each step taken mm. carefully. So to reset the sympathetic nervous system, um, and if you aren't going to come to see me, here's the secret. Um, you really have to aggressively address meditation of some kind. So you either need to really embrace yoga med- yogic meditation. You need mm. to embrace – I have several patients who have embraced um, – their rosary. Mm. And so they're saying their rosary for an hour a day. Um, I have other patients who are spending really devoted time in prayer. And then there are further who don't have a religious bent who I've had them order online. Um, one of two products, one pro they're about the same. They both cost about $300. One is called heart math and heart math is a computer program that you can set up on your own computer or you can buy a, a little handheld device that they sell, and it is a biofeedback tool that guides you to a slower heartbeat. And it teaches you through meditation and thinking without a religious bent how to calm your heart rate. So you're essentially achieving the same thing that people achieve in yoga and with their rosary and in prayer without God. Involved, I right. suppose. Yeah. Um, and then the second one is something called respirate. And respirate is spelled strangely R E S P I R A T. Okay, respirate. R E S P I R A T. And um, you can Google that. And respirate costs $300. It's a band you wear around your chest, very similar to a exercise heart rate monitor, but this is a breathing monitor. And then it has ear um, buds that give you a tone, and it teaches you to slow your breathing. And if people do it, it, there has been a large population study done of about 600 people proving that this will lower blood pressure in early hypertension faster than pharmaceutical drugs. And, of course, with less side effects. Um, right. So respirate is a wonderful way. It's an, it can be an adjunct to blood pressure medication, or it can be a way to calm and reset the nervous system, or it can be a way to address early hypertension, which is the end result mm-hmm. of an overset nervous system. So, because what you're resetting is your nervous system, yes, and which is part of the being foggy and the 
the fatigue or just the fatigue? Well, this is, they're, they're, those people are fatigued because they're overdoing everything. So yeah. every, so someone says, oh my gosh, I have to buy new socks for my kid. And that becomes this huge stressful event. Whereas if they had looked at themselves, you know, if they were 25 looking at themselves at 35 obsessing over socks, <laughs> they would have laughed. But something has changed in their hypothalamus in their brain, which has, means that everything is an emergency. Okay. Every, okay. And if you have been, everything's drama, everything's an emergency. And if you've been awakened by one, two, three, four, five, six children with the flu, as I was this last week, pretty soon you can understand how this can happen. (laughs) Yeah. You just said that the whole house has the The flu, flu. like six kids and adults all like on watching TV. That's crazy. Yeah. That would, that would definitely strike. I mean, that, that's, that's pretty. So, so I know of what I speak. I know about this resetting. There are also, there's another approach to this. So I've, I've talked about non things you have to put in your mouth, Mm non-pharmaceutical and um, non-supplement, but there are also herbal supplements that, reset the nervous system and mm-hmm. can change this yin yang thing. Um, and the chief, the other chief thing to address is sleep. So most of these women are fatigued and not sleeping. So they come to me and they say, I'm exhausted, but when I go to sleep at night, I can't turn off my brain. So there are herbal remedies combined with meditation that can reset the yin yang system, but it does take time. Interesting. And you have to be patient, which is what you don't have. So, so you have to suspend your lack of patience long Suspe- enough. Well, the turtle. The, the turtle. The turtle. You got to be a turtle. Well, you talked a little bit about this. I want to kind of move right into the high, because we talked about it. I'm going to move over here to go into high blood pressure. Okay. Because, <clears throat> first off, I found it really fascinating. We were talking earlier before we started recording that the high blood pressure or the vascular point, which is blood pressure. When you get someone in your office that's at that point, that's what you call the red. It's a red. They're in the red zone. There's, you know, they've, the, the, the adrenals are already shot. The gut's already been broken down. They're now at phase three or four um, out of five. Yeah. So tell us more about that because I think in our society, I know that I've heard that is that high blood pressure, you take a pill and it goes down. That's it. Or stop eating. Well, so this goes back to that whole concept of what is normal range. So standard medicine that I was trained in and I was good at was if I can get the patient's numbers normal, then the patient must be fine. But we haven't asked what's causing that high blood pressure. So, yes, I can take somebody with high blood pressure, give them medication, and I can make the blood pressure go down, but I haven't changed the underlying disease complex that caused the high blood pressure to go up. So let's look again at biology. And these are simple concepts. You have about six miles of blood vessels in your body and they are microscopic at some places. Um, They are the, the lining of these six miles is one cell thick. Okay, you can't see one cell with the naked eye. Mm-mm. Okay, it's very, very, very small. And so the lining of your blood vessels is one cell thick. And that one cell is your protection from things that have escaped into your blood system that shouldn't go into the tissues. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the final. I mean, the gut's supposed to protect you, but the gut hasn't protected you. Or if your liver hasn't protected you, if your kidneys haven't protected you, then your that one cell is the protection. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. If I am, if I'm imbalanced in my eating and I've got too much sugar and I've got too much insulin and I've got too much fat, 
I'm going to kill off systematically that system of cells that's protecting my blood vessels. And as I do that, now, now I'm really describing what's taking place in 75% of Americans, if not 80% of Americans. I mean, we've got college, you know, you, you watch college football. I watched mm. college football last night. Yeah, I am. And it was a great, what a great game. But I'm looking at those young men on the field and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that one has metabolic syndrome. That one has metabolic I syndrome can see that. because of how fat they are. When, I mean, Americans never used to be fat. People were never carried the kind of weight that young people are carrying now. And the fat itself create, has poisons in it. The fat makes cytokines that are like a large infection. If I had, if I went bicycling and had road rash, went off my bike and scraped the skin off of one side of my body, that tissue would give me systemic symptoms. I would have fever. I would have joint aches. I would have, as I was healing, I would have issues in the rest of my body. And when I'm fat, I'm doing the same thing. I'm releasing those saved substances. So I'm giving myself joint aches. I'm giving myself cloudy thinking. I'm giving myself problems with, okay. And, and there are, over 200 substances made by fat that actually attack that that intima, that thin one cell layer of blood uh, that lines the blood vessels. Mm-hmm. So this intima, this small one cell layer that covers these six miles of blood vessels, when it's uh, exposed to high levels of blood sugar and high levels of insulin, um, there is there are changes that take place in that cellular level. Mm-hmm. Um, there are actually gaps that are opened up so that toxins are able to go through that shouldn't. Um, there are changes in the thickness of that layer, and then there are changes in the muscular layer right below it so mm-hmm. that this is what leads to high blood pressure. The blood vessels become stiff in response to blood sugar, insulin, and also sodium itself. So the typical processed diet Mm -hmm. has more than 140 milligrams per meal. We're talking sometimes even 500 to 600 Mm -hmm. milligrams of sodium at a a sit-down. And that sodium itself also changes this one cell layer of one cell layer that's protecting your blood vessels. Um, And this is what leads to the hypertension that's so destructive. So Mm -hmm. if I have changes in my blood vessels, Mm -hmm. then any of the tissue downstream from those changes is not getting the oxygen and the nutrients that it needs. And hence we see accelerated aging and we see the problems that people develop because what's being supplied downstream, Mm -hmm. sensory nerves, motor nerves, Mm -hmm. the integrity of the skin, so people will have accelerated aging, sagging of their skin. They'll have um, changes in the way that they preserve pain. So sometimes even fibromyalgia can be addressed by addressing how the blood vessel system is working. So improving circulation can change. Fibromyalgia can change. Mm-hmm. Of course, hypertension. So we think about hypertension as this thing I can give a pill for. Mm-hmm. But if I haven't addressed the underlying problems, the rest of the disease is going to progress underneath it. So I may have caused the blood vessels to relax for a minute from that mm-hmm. pharmaceutical drug. But I'm going to have to give more and more and more drug as the as the pro- disease process accelerates. So, yes, if you come in with high blood pressure, I will give you a pharmaceutical drug to lower your blood pressure. And some of them actually have very good side effects. The ACE inhibitors and the ARB inhib- and the ARB drugs are excellent, excellent drugs that actually prolong life, and they're not bad things to use. But at the same time, I'm going to institute changes in your lifestyle to 
stop the accelerated process of hypertension. What do you think those things are in lifestyle? Um, sugar, fats, and exposures to xenoestrogens and to toxic proteins. Interesting. So overweight young people are giving themselves an early old age. So by the time that guy's in his 40s, he's going to have sexual issues. He's going to have mm-hmm. he's going to have energy issues. He's going to have a predilection for cancer. He's going to have a predilection a for heart age. disease at a young age. Which is so interesting because <clears throat> we're, we're <clears throat> we, we as a society are living longer yet, but we're living longer in nursing homes. <laughs> okay. We're, yeah. we're not living full lives. We're living longer on a couch. We're living longer unable to function. Mm. We're, living, we're not living fulfilled, dynamic lives where we're touching other people's lives and making a difference in people's lives. We're living lives of, of isolation and shame because of our inability to function. You know, to bring something up, and, and it's just going off topic, but um, when I was in my early 20s, I was uh, you know, under a lot of stress. Under, I was under major stress at the time, three or four things going, career change and end of um, graduation, all kinds of stuff. Now looking back, I can go, well, of course this was happening. I was under like massive stress of under one month. And, uh, but I was diagnosed as depressed. It put me on all kinds of crazy medication. Um, and when you talked a little bit about the serotonin in your gut, it mm-hmm. makes sense now. You know, um, I made a promise myself never to be on any kind of medication like that ever again. Um, but during those few months when I was on those medications, what was interesting to me, and I'm, t- I'm 20, I was 23, 24 at the time, uh, healthy at the time, but I remember waking up in the middle of the night and I couldn't feel like my left side of my whole hand. It was like numb and it was tingling and it would, and they go, Oh, well that's just a side effect. And then, uh, my favorite one was, this is back in uh, 2000 air round, 99, 2000. Um, they said, you know, we should probably try you on Viagra. And I'm like, well, I'm a woman. Isn't that for a man? They go, well, you know, we're open to new studies. So, <laughs> so I felt like I was a rat. But, you know, what was And I took one and that was it. Uh, I was like, this isn't working. <laughs> so I stopped at the age of 24. Yeah. But what was, what was interesting to me was how they never looked at anything we're talking about right now. We, they never did my labs. They never looked at, well, you're just having a lot of stress. Why don't you do focus on working out and some meditation and eating right? What are you eating? I was eating massive sugar. I was doing like, a, I think, a case of Mountain Dew a week. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so let me just, an aside on soda. Soda is dangerous not only because of the sugar content and or if you're using a non-sugar soda, it's just as dangerous because the non-sugar sweeteners that are in soda actually cause the pancreas to release insulin at almost equal mm. rates to sugar. So you're still becoming insulin resistant, even if you're not being exposed to the sugar. Um, but the soda itself, carbonation mm. itself, is dangerous to women's bones and to men's bones and changes your biochemistry. It makes you, it's, it's very, very, very alkalotic. Huh. And so it causes the consumption of bone. And it causes the destruction of gastrointestinal mucosa. It changes the way that your whole body system works and decreases immunity. So if the first, if we were talking about people that are not going to come to see me, stop drinking soda, look into the paleo diet Mm -hmm. and do some kind of regular meditation. Those are, those are the top. Yeah. I mean, this is a pretty interesting thing. So I was going to ask you what, what would be the top three things or top four things you would tell anybody who's listening that, 
the first thing to do would be what I'm hearing is yoga or meditation, meditation. or something to lower your heart rate, right. to lower your heart rate, meditation, focus on that. And it'll give you in a sense of your own biology. Yeah. You'll learn to slow your own heart rate down. That's interesting. And then also, um, you know, try to find someone like yourself. I mean, where would they look or what kind of, cause obviously you're not, you're not a gynecologist. So where would they look to find someone like yourself if they're not here in Austin, Texas? Well, if they're, they're not looking for hormone therapy, there are a lot of chiropractors and, um, naturopaths. So a naturopathic doctor could do what I'm doing. Okay. Um, so could a chiropractor. Um, so could a nutritionist. There's some very skilled nutritionists. Um, and there are pharmacists who have a, either a naturopathic degree or mm. a nutritional degree who could do what I'm doing. Um, for a young woman, the only hormone that she would really need, unless you mm. were going to go on testosterone, is progesterone, which can be done over the counter. Yeah. yeah. So Now, if we ask you a question, so if someone's listening, could they actually point with you if they're not here in, in Austin? Could they do it? Oh, virtually? yes. They couldn't do it virtually. I need to see them once a year physically okay. in the office. Okay. But I can do my follow-up appointments over the phone. Okay, yeah. Um, and I do see people from New York and from California and from um, Japan. <laughs> Hey, that's good. <laughs> Japan, okay. okay. And, but okay, good. So someone could come in, do the labs, and then talk to you and have a conversation with you, and then and go up once a year. Yes, be great. Well, thank you for your time today. Oh, thank it's you my pleasure. Everything. You have been listening to Sexy Boss interviews with Heather Havenwood, Chief Sexy Boss. Go to www.sexybossinc.com for more information and education to empower you to be a smart, sexy, and rich sexy boss.